True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. The London Underground is one of the greatest public transport system achievements in the world. But did you know that allegedly it is also haunted? Panicked passengers have reported seeing the spirit of an undead Egyptian princess dressed in nothing more than a loincloth and a headdress, wailing and screaming. The deep underground tunnels are a perfect place for spirits to lurk, ready to spook unsuspecting commuters. From phantom hitchhikers to distressed women looking for lost children, to the screams of people killed during air raid shelter attacks, the London Underground is not a place for the faint of heart or the super sensitive. Join us on this week's episode as we explore the tunnels and abandoned stations of the London Underground. Welcome to this week's episode of True Hauntings. I'm Anne Rekovich. And I'm Renata Daniel. Hope you enjoy the show. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome back to the studio on this auspicious week, Anne. Yeah, so this will give you an idea of how far we've recorded ahead. We're actually at the Halloween weekend, and it's the Friday before Halloween, the 31st of October. So uh, belated happy Halloween to everyone that is listening, because it would have been and gone by the time you heard this. I think it'll almost be Christmas, actually. <laughs> it could possibly we, be. We might need to sing a Christmas carol. Absolutely, we might. Oh, but, get, get me ukulele out. But we're staying in the theme of Halloween. Halloween, which is all about spookiness and all about the the thinning of the veils between the world. So we have a huge weekend lined up, and we know that you're hearing this after the event. Uh, but tonight we actually have a Maitland Jail ghost tour, and we're all getting dressed up. Well, Fun and hilarity I'm, everywhere. I'm not that into dressing up, to tell you the truth. It's a pain in the butt, particularly my costume, because it goes right up the clacker. <laughs> Right. Oh, we got the weeds out early on that okay. one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, just do your best. I will. Be, be I will. in the spirit of things. Yeah. And then, of course, we have our huge, huge radio show on Sunday, four hours. And yes, you have only one person to blame, and that is me, for saying, hey, Anne, why don't we do this? Yeah. Oh. It'll be easy, she said. Easy peasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Piece yeah. of cake. As we do pre recordings from people all around mm-hmm. the world and getting our uh, timings worked out. And- mm-hmm. So we're we're preempting and saying it was a a marvellous and absolutely amazing experience. And look, the next time we are here in the studio and doing a a talk just before our podcast, you'll hear all about everything that went down. Yeah. Now, um, I have to remind you of something, Renata, I think you may have forgotten. Mm. Do you know what is also important about this coming Sunday, the 31st of October? 
No? No. Blank eyes. It's the anniversary of True Hauntings. It's our one-year anniversary. Wow. And by the, the time we get to that, um, we should have hit around about 160,000 downloads, which is insane for a first year fresh out of the gate. Um, and, and it's also like not uh, – we're not – doing the same as what everyone else is doing. We've mm-hmm. actually created a whole new concept mm-hmm. um, with this. Well, I hope we have anyway. Um, yeah, so happy anniversary to us. Mm-hmm. We've made it. We have. We have survived a year. Almost. Almost. Oh, boy. Didn't, yes. <laughs> we ended up scraping through at the end, but mm-hmm. we, we have made it to a year. And here's to the next 12 months, which are going to be even bigger and better with yes. this podcast. So hang around, guys. Absolutely. Because we're getting even better. And there is one other announcement that we should make, just in case this is the episode that is before Christmas, which I think we're about four weeks ahead. Um, we will be taking a little break over Christmas so don't panic we'll be off for I think two or three episodes just to regroup and uh, get ready for 2022 which as Renata said is going to be a cracker Mm. so we apologize for the interruptions you guys have had throughout uh, the latter half of this year it was beyond um, anything we could deal with and it's also basically came down to there was one person who was trying to do everything and there is only so much he can do in a day as well as opening a new studio and we don't like being the lowest priority do we Renata no absolutely but not business we, wise we do deserve better than that <laughs> business wise we get it but um, ego wise we're not dealing well <laughs> so we have done our best to try and um, provide uh, ongoing uh, episodes for you um, you probably aren't even noticing the changes or the differences but you know we, rest assured we are here we have many many more stories to tackle and we're not going anywhere until we actually get through to the truth of some of these stories yeah. and a bit of a shout out to Bonnie Ann who's going to do the next episode for us she's going to put that one together and um, I think that's the Rose Hall Jamaican one which would have been and gone by the time you guys hear mm-hmm. this and also a big shout out to Jason who also offered to help uh, get the series up and happening as well anyway let's get on with it let's get on with it Bethnal Green Station holds a reputation as being the scene of the worst civilian disaster of World War II, as well as being the largest loss of life in a single incident on the London Underground. During the war, it was used as an air raid shelter. The East End of London had experienced heavy bombing raids during the war, but on 3rd of March 1943, 173 people 27 men, 84 women and 62 children were killed and 92 were injured in a crush whilst attempting to enter the safety of the station. Two days before this, Britain had bombed Berlin and of course that brought about retaliation. On the 3rd of March at 8.17pm the siren sounded. Hundreds of terrified people ran through the darkened streets to Bethnal Green Tube Station, where some 500 people were already sheltering. Within minutes, 1,500 people had entered the shelter. Ten minutes later, 
Loud noises outside panicked those who were trying to enter the station, causing pushing, shoving, and then a huge surge forward. Adding to the panic was the narrow entrance to the station, a dimly lit staircase and wetness caused by rain during the day. As a woman near the bottom of the staircase slipped, others fell over, and within seconds, over 300 men, women and children were crushed in the tiny stairwell. People were terrified and panicking as they fell over with many more trying to push their way into the shelter. The rescuers found it almost impossible to help. People who witnessed the horror said there were people screaming and hollering as they piled up like sardines. As the residents of Bethnal Green were used to these noises, these loud bangs, the sounds of bombs being dropped... Why did this particular incident cause a panic? What they actually had heard was a salvo of rockets fired a quarter of a mile away at Victoria Park by an experimental new weapon. The local population had not been informed because of security regulations. Eyewitnesses described the sky being lit up and the sound being terrifying. The Ministry of Defence confirmed that rockets were fired in Victoria Park, but rejected the view that this caused the disaster. They claimed that the crush in the station was the result of sirens signalling a Luftwaffe attack. However, no one claimed they heard any planes. Coping with the crushed bodies was a truly dreadful and traumatic experience. Many babies and children that were brought out had turned blue. They were taken to the mortuary at Whitechapel on carts and buses. In nearly all cases, death was due to asphyxiation, with virtually all dying within 10 to 15 seconds of being crushed. Years after the disaster, there were reports of noises similar to those of women and children screaming. In 1981, a station foreman was working late at Bethnal Green Station. He had seen to the usual tasks of securing the station and doing the paperwork when he heard the low sound of voices. As he stopped what he was doing, the sound became more and more distinct. It was the noise of children crying, but it gradually grew louder and was then joined by the sound of women screaming. This went on for some 10 to 15 minutes until, overcome with fear, he left his office. Today, above the station is a small commemorative plaque which was placed there in 1993 to the victims of this disaster, although there is a general feeling that it is inadequate for what those poor souls suffered. Wasn't that a sad story, Renata? Oh, that's just awful. Now, I, I got that one today from the Haunted London Underground. I adapted it, and uh, that was by David Brandon. And that book is chock-a-block full of various stations and ghost stories. It it was amazing. Mm. I had no idea that there were so many ghost stories associated with the London Underground, but it's not hard to 
understand why. Yeah, I remember when I suggested it to you, you looked at me and went, what? Mm. The underground? And what, what made me think of is that uh, I had seen something on Facebook, I think it was, a picture where they had posted up something about the ghosts of the London underground. And that's what made me look into it a little bit further. I went, oh, mm. oh. Mm. Yes. So this was um, quite an interesting deep dive can say that into the underground and if you think of it at the time because we're going back to the 1800s when uh, all of this was envisaged in the first place the people that did throw the idea out there and say let's build an underground can you imagine what people would have thought Mm. when you kind of said we're going to dig under the city oh you're going to tap into the lava and it will blow out everywhere yeah and we're going to connect places underground yeah and back then there were there was no lighting and there was no um, electricity for it to run. It was mm-hmm. all steam powered. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, they were so creative, weren't they? Yes. For for the knowledge and uh, technology they had at the time. Yeah. So when we talk about it as being one of the great wonders of the world, it, it truly is. And they talk about the fact that Londoners really um, poo-poo the whole thing and, and find it you know, a dreadful way of getting around the city. And it's it's congested and it's smelly and it's dirty. But and could, it you needs imagine, could you imagine? Because we've both been on the underground. Yes. Could you imagine if that didn't exist and it was all buses and uh, trains above ground oh. and taxis or cabs, as they call them there, um, and cars. Yeah. It's well, crazy it's, as it's it is. It's already chaos. <laughs> yes, it's already chaos. Remember when we were there in 2019, we were driving through London and all of a sudden we found ourselves in the middle of London mm. and there was people that would just suddenly pull U-turns in front of you and yeah. cross yeah. across the lanes in front. It was like, wow, this is insane. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. So let's look at some of the history here before you go into the stories. And um, I won't go through too much because, as you can imagine, with a build like this, it isn't completed at one time. It is added on to. And so there is a long timeline associated with the London Underground. But in 1850s, Victorian London was not a pleasant place, especially for a traveller. And Gustave Doré recorded the hideous congestion this is in the 1850s, as pedestrians, horsemen and horse-drawn vehicles jostled for space in its overcrowded streets. But the worst thing of all was the predominant smell of horse poo. See, I don't mind that smell because I love horses. Mm. Can you imagine the ladies in their long dresses and their beautiful leather boots trying to cross the street uh, when it's dry, not not when it's wet or, or when there's sludge and snow melting and everything and horse poo everywhere? Oh, my goodness. I, I imagine can't, I can't even some human excrement out there as oh, well. They yes. chuck their chamber pots out. Yes. So, as I said, the predominant smell was horse poo with uh, thousands of flies being attracted to such. Oh, that's just Australia on a regular day. <laughs> mm. Now, there were actually, and I've got to get off the topic of horse poo. I seem to be stuck on it. There there were jobs specifically for people that went along and collected that stuff. Oh, see, it provided an income for someone. Look at the positive. Imagine saying to someone on the dole right now, your job is going to go out and collect horse poo yes. on the streets. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And no, no way. We've got way too many princesses out there who yeah. would say that's beneath it's, them. It's my right not to accept that. And I refuse to go and pick up horse poo. <laughs> you are impinging on my freedoms as a human being. But please give me my free check. <laughs> 
At the end of the 19th century, the invention of the internal combustion engine was greeted with a solution to air pollution. So in 1815, in an attempt to improve the London traffic issues, more people started to use the Thames River. So this is in 1815. This is prior to the underground being built. So they're putting the horse poo in the Thames River? No, no, no. No, they thought... Oh, sorry, well, I can't get off the horse poo. No, no, no. <laughs> Just get off the horse I'm poo. stuck in horse poo. <laughs> the streets are overcrowded. Right. There's traffic everywhere. So they go, okay, let's let's see if we can float up and down the oh, river. Oh, let's do a Huckleberry... We've got a, we've got a river here. A, a Huckleberry Flynn and, and we'll pole down the river. Yeah, let's, let's use that. So a steamboat service was begun between Greenwich and the city and they had departures every 15 minutes. And in the following 12 years, four new toll bridges were built across the river. Of course, they found a way to make some money. Yep. I and suppose they got to pay for the bridges, so yep. fair enough. And they charged half a penny or more to cross. However, by the 1850s, river transport offered no relief since the Thames was the receptacle for London sewage. Horse poo! And, and also its drinking water. Yum, yum. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Doesn't like getting a bit of fibre with your water. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> So pedestrians crossing its bridges during the hot summer, which, look, there wouldn't be too many days of that, but, you know. It's not. It's not hot. (laughs) Come to Australia. Oh, it is now. It is now. Yeah, that's because of climate change that Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, Oh, I made you lose your place. Sorry about that. Yeah, pedestrians crossing its bridges during the hot summer days did so at a steady jogging pace with handkerchiefs over their noses. (laughs) Was that with lavender on it? Oh, yes, most probably. (laughs) And in July 1855, the great scientist Michael Faraday travelled by boat from London Bridge to Hungerford Bridge and recorded that the whole of the river was an opaque, pale brown fluid. Oh, yuck! Near the bridges, the odour was so thick he could carve it. (laughs) (laughs) And it rolled up in clouds so dense that they were visible at the surface. Oh, no. Three years later, in the heat of the summer in 1858, the stench was so appalling that the members of parliament had to flee the chambers. Oh, because that's on the river. mm -hmm, And the Times magazine called it the Great Stink. (laughs) Welcome to London. (laughs) So the solution to London's problems of congestion and filth required an unorthodox solution by someone who could see outside the constraints of the Times. Mm. Now, you were talking about how they went underground. Do you remember the furor or the crazy thoughts um, people had when they said they were going to put a tunnel under the Harbour Bridge? Yes. And underneath the harbour, yeah. people were freaking out. Yep, yep. They did it. They did it. It leaks, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Engineers worked with new materials, new machinery and new techniques and built the world's first underground railways and the first tunnel beneath a river. Mm-hmm. They were initially condemned by the press and their ideas were looked at as idiotic and no one had ever attempted anything like that before. So it wasn't going to work. Yeah, of course Mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Sir Edward Watkin, the egotistical chairman of the Metropolitan Line. Oh, I like him already. The world's first underground railway attempted to make it part of a system running from Manchester to Paris via a channel tunnel. Oh, a tunnel. Which he actually started to build until Parliament, of which he was a member, stopped him. Oh, they're not visionaries. So that was... Like a lot earlier than yeah. when the Channel Tunnel was actually done. Wow. Whitaker Wright raised the money to start the build 
at Bakerloo Line but went bankrupt and he was jailed for seven years for fraud and committed suicide in the hallowed precincts of the new law courts in the Strand. So he just went and stood there and went, stuff his all and killed himself. His successor was Charles Tyson Yerkes, an American financier who had been jailed for fraud in Philadelphia and confronted uh, by an angry mob brandishing nooses and firearms in Chicago. And so he fled to London and having raised the money to build three tube lines, the legality of which was debatable, he died leaving his organisation on the verge of bankruptcy. So for most of its existence, the network has struggled to gain investment yeah, and it is still at this point in time struggling to gain investment so that it can be can you imagine the renovated. amount of upkeep that it mm. takes? The number of tunnels and stations that over the years have not been used mm-hmm. or weren't yeah, weren't thought out maybe too well. Yeah. So in the twentieth century the London Underground served as a refuge for from German bombs as the biggest art gallery in the world. As a symbol of London itself through its famous route map and as a political football. I think you could say that as route. We don't want a route map around London. Thank you very much. Can we have a route? Okay, route, route, route map. I'll follow a route. Uh, I'll bet you do. She'll follow a route anywhere, this one. There's a route and I follow it. This route. God. I know uh, what you mean. You can yeah. be say, said either way. It's just, it, it sounded quite mm-hmm. funny in the way you said it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the years between the two world wars, London's underground railway was the envy of other nations. And in the post-war period, it has struggled to cope with London's ever-growing passenger traffic despite chronic underinvestment, though its connection to Heathrow, the world's busiest airport, has more than fulfilled Sir Edward Watkins' dream of making it a link in an international transport system. A journey begun on the London Underground can literally lead to anywhere in the world. Truly, it is an underground to everywhere. And we have travelled, or I have travelled from Heathrow Mm. into London Mm. using the underground. Me too. And um, we had to take these enormous bags that had come. Were they empty bags at that stage? No, they were slightly empty. I think we bought things to give away as as gifts. So there were things in it. So if you ever see Renata in England, London, somewhere like that, hit her up for a gift because she apparently brings (laughs) bag loads of them. But they were, you know, you get the largest bags that you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And were these before the wheels? You know how No, now? no, no. They're oh. not that far back. No, <laughs> no, they the had ones wheels. you had to carry they by hand also it was hell. But we get into yeah, our accommodation or where our accommodation is and get off at the closest um, tube stop. Tube stop. And then as we get off and we look and we look and we go Far out. There's so many stairs yep. <laughs> to, to the top. No escalator? No escalator. That must have been before they were invented. Shut up. No, <laughs> they were invented. They just weren't here. This place wasn't that important. Um, and we had to climb up <laughs> with those bags. This is with your other travel yeah, buddy, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Hi, Gail. And no one helped. No one gave a helping hand or a second look at Not two a ladies. Duck. Two ladies trying to drag their crap up 
these stairs. They're probably thinking they'll learn next time, they'll won't they? <laughs> <laughs> they won't do this another time. Uh, yes, the joys of travelling. So I've got a couple of fun facts. Oh, fun facts. Fun facts about the London Tube. And the fact, number f- one fact is that no one calls it the London Underground. They do call it the Tube. The Tube. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, or the Tube. The Tube. It'd be in America. Tube. So when the uh, first ever underground railway system, and like I said, it was steam operated, pulled out of Paddington, Pad- Paddington pa- Station. Paddington. It only went down uh, a passage of 3.5 miles and that's a fair long way that's yeah, like well, six or seven kilometers yeah, or that's, something. this is back in 1863 so this is a huge monumental thing yeah approximately 40,000 people lined up for the ghost train <laughs> it would have been it would have been like the ghost train yeah 40,000 people lined up to have a crack at it wow so within tw- within six months, twenty six thousand people were riding the train each day. <gasps> they must have been cramming them in like sardines. Twenty six thousand each day. That's that's in the eighteen sixties. That's crazy. By eighteen eighty four, there were more than eight hundred trains in operation. Uh, in what was called the Inner Circle, so a circular line that enclosed central London um, and is now just the Circle Line. Um, the majority of the London Underground isn't underground. The entire London Underground network is approximately 249 miles long, employing more than 4,100 trains and linking 270 stations. But only about 45% of these miles are underground. Now, each train travels 114,000 miles a year. Ooh. Uh, or 4.6 times around the world. Oh, wow. Each train. Each train. Ooh, they're big numbers. There are more than a billion journeys made each year. And half a million mice call the underground home. Oh, lucky mice. <laughs> Renata's trying to vomit. <laughs> oh. so, as Don't you, you like mice? Y- yeah, over there. I used to breed them. Mm. I loved mice. Yeah, they'd crawl all over me and... Um, so as you're going to talk about, there are ghosts reportedly living down there. Um, yeah. There are also groups of subterranean Londoners. Mm. So some of them are, are called the mole people. Oh. oh, no, just like the mole people of New York subway. Sorry. Right. So there are people who live in the underground. Um and Because there are so many disused stations and places mm-hmm. that they could hide out. So... We've got the Faceless Woman of Beacon's Tree Station, the Toothy Man of Channel Sea Depot, and the Screaming Spectre of Farrington Station. There's just a few yeah, of um, the ghosts. But you are treading in my territory, I'm, I'm just not saying. saying anymore. No, I'm not saying don't, anymore. Don't. Um, the average Londoner spends 11.5 days each year in the tube. The first escalator was a miserable failure. That must have been at the station we arrived at. <laughs> <laughs> The longest escalator is nearly 200 feet long. They're, they're crazy. Wow. I remember, going, I can't remember which station it was, and you go up to the, the top of it and then you look down and you actually catch your breath. I know. Because it's just so steep and goes yes. down so far. Yes, and you must stand on the left. Yeah. Because yeah. all hell breaks loose yeah. if you don't. In Australia, you go stand on the right. So it's really confusing. Um, uh, and that might not be the first escalator going down. 
or travelator, I think they call them in America. Sometimes that's the first one and then it goes down further. Yes. Yeah. So among the strangest things left on the underground and collected by lost property office was a jar of bull semen. What? (laughs) An An outboard motor. Three dead bats in a container. Oh. A vasectomy kit. What? A harpoon gun, which may have gone with a 14-foot-long boat. A stuffed eagle. Breast implants. (laughs) False teeth. And a surprising number of prosthetic limbs. A four-foot Mickey Mouse. A six six full-sized mannequins. And an urn (laughs) containing a dead man's ashes. Oh, no. Which was reunited with his brother five years later after being lost. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Just hang on, this is a vasectomy kit. A vasectomy kit. Is that just one of those Stanley knives that you just grab it and whip it out? Mm. (laughs) Didn't you talk on um, uh, another show elsewhere about some guy who did vasectomies? Oh, the, that yeah. was that was an Australian who uh, decided he was an electrician. Yeah, he was from up so. Queensland, and he decided he could make some money on the side. No, well, he wasn't making money on the side. <laughs> he he actually put it onto a Unique website. Can you believe there is such a thing as a mm. Unique website? And offered free vasectomies mm-hmm. for whoever wanted them. Mm-hmm. Of course, he he had no training whatsoever apart from a first aid certificate. He did have that, mm-hmm. but apparently, on um, the two men volunteered quite happy to have the the job done the second one he couldn't stop the bleeding so they had to call the ambulance and uh that's how he got caught Mm. oh my heavens (laughs) now as you mentioned uh with the air raids uh the tube tunnels and um station platforms were used as air raid shelters and that horrible um story that you read that terrifying and heart-wrenching story that you read um, in the soundscape it was from this time um, in September uh, in well during the war um, in the 1939-1940 period um, and more than 22,000 bunk beds were installed in stations across the system to provide places for people to, oh. to sleep um, and we've we've all seen those black and white um, images of people running down into the um, tube. Yeah, tube. and recreated in movies and things like that. Yeah, yeah. just so... But the Bethnal so Green story is just devastating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the iconic map that we see... Oh, yes. Um, ...is actually um, designed... It was designed by Harry Beck in 1933, and he was an engineering draftsman, and he designed it and was inspired by electronic circuit boards. Oh, I can see that, actually, mm. now you say it. Yeah, and he was paid less than $15 for his work. <gasps> yeah, look, trying to wrap your head around how to map that out, because, I mean, physicality-wise, it does not match the locations, but no. it nicely matches the um, the line, so you can work out which colour yeah. line you're meant to be on and which station matches up with that. Only an engineer, because my husband's an engineer, only an engineer could work that out in their yes. head. Yes, that's, absolutely. That could have yeah. a vision of that. Yep. But I'm going to finish there because we're here about the ghost stories um, and that gives everyone a, a bit of an insight to the complexities about um, the London Underground. And hopefully if you've never been, uh, if you are in London, it is something that is a must-do. It is a must-do, yeah. I remember um, 
running with my husband to go and catch the tube so we could get to the meetup point to go on some tour mm-hmm. and I rolled my ankle as I was running for the tube and it was he was like oh okay we'll 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 hail a cab I'm going no no I'll be fine darling so I hobbled and ran to the tube mm-hmm. down the escalators onto the train and then by the time I got home that night my ankle was so swollen and I couldn't even walk to the toilet Bless him. He's saying, I'll get you a towel. You can just wee on the towel and <laughs> look after it for you. How's that for dedication of a husband? I love that man so much. Um, I'll be pleased to know that I did um, hop to the toilet with his assistance and, and use the lavatory. I did not use a oh, towel. goodness. My pride would not let me do that. But there's a thought for you for anyone who's ever stuck just... Whack that towel in there and wee on it and then you can deal with that No, later. no, 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 no. Do not follow instructions here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, look, when I suggested this topic, I had no idea there was that many ghost stories. There's hundreds. There is. So, look, I've, I've had to just... I'll probably pick out the most famous ones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll go through a few of them so we can have a, a look at them and, and um, have a little d- d- bit of a discussion. So the first one we're heading to is Covent Garden. Now, mm-hmm. we've been there. Yes, we have. Last time we were there, we stood up the top and looked down below where all the nice people were eating and they had a string quartet playing fabulous music. Do you remember that? Yes. And was there yes. singers as well? Yes. No, oh. they were playing amazing, they were just um, phenomenal. amazing music. Yeah. Oh, memory. Renata, we'll be back in five months. So, Covent Garden, since the first doors opened at the station, there have been stories of a tall man in a hat. Oh, the hat man. Here and we a go. cloak. Oh, yes. Wandering the corridors after dark. It has terrified some tube workers so much that they've requested to move to a less haunted underground station. And who can blame them, really? So this charming character is reportedly to be the actor William Therese, who was murdered in 1897. Before his untimely demise, he used to frequent the bakery that once stood on the site of Covent Garden Station and now likes to wander the corridors instead. Mm. Apparently he wants to avenge his death or is simply a bit annoyed. (laughs) Or angry uh-huh. um, at what had happened to him. So his apparition, according to this article, makes a chilling sight. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little bit like um, the dude from My Fair Lady, Rex Harrison, with his top hat and cape. Mm. He's looking for Liza underneath the um, the tall pillars. It's that area, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it is. She's selling her flowers. Now we're going to move to Farringdon. Farringdon. So on this one, they say that when it's quiet, you can hear blood-curdling screams around the station. They echo up and down the corridors. And apparently it happens that often throughout the years that it's not fading because sometimes hauntings will fade, Mm -hmm. but it just keeps happening and happening. And so many people have actually witnessed it. Now, they're saying it. These screams are not caused by the delays on the Hammersmith and City line. (laughs) Where's my train? (laughs) Uh, It's supposed to be the work of uh, a lady called Anne, with a D, like Mm -hmm. myself, Naila. Now, she was an apprentice hat maker who was murdered by her employer in 1758. Wow, she's that's, been hanging around she, a long that's, time. That's right. That's, that's two and a half centuries. So why did she choose to haunt Farrington? Why, why has she ch- chosen that 
particular spot to haunt. Apparently that is where her body was unceremoniously dumped ah, back then. right. So she would be um, a resident of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, to her, there is no train station there, or she is aware of it, and that's why she's screaming. But she is still there screaming to this day. Oh, wow. I think we're going to have to go visit some of these ones. Now we go to Liverpool Street. Mm-hmm. So the staff at Liverpool Station uh, are quite used to having this weird stuff go down. Uh, many workers have spotted strange figures on the CCTV system in the dead of the night and passengers have reported seeing a man in overalls pacing up and down the platforms. I mean, that could be a real person. Mm-hmm. Because they'd, they'd be workers. Mm-hmm. The station was rumoured to be built on a mass burial oh, site. yes, that's the one on the plague pit. Yes, which, uh, you know, it sounds like a, a, a typical ghost story, doesn't it? Oh, mm-hmm. it was built on a plague pit or built on a burial ground. And mm-hmm. we've actually come across this many times mm-hmm. in our true hauntings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually true because when they were digging around there in 2015, they found the plague pit with over 3,000 skeletons. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So I wonder if that's the ones that are showing up on the camera. Or is it an orb? We love orbs, don't we? Oh, so much. So much. Not. Right, now we're going to head to Bank Station. Mm Mm-hmm. Since the 19th century, they've been seeing a sinister figure in black stalking the passages. Mm-hmm. Also, a putrid smell. <laughs> wafting. It's everywhere. It's, it's wafting. It's a putrid smell. Yeah. Somebody farted. <laughs> and they also have a pervading sense of sadness. I think I'd be sad if I was left to haunt with that smell. Oh, poor, poor oh. ghost. Apparently, the smell can be explained, though. It's built on top of a mass grave. <laughs> oh, dear. No, nothing um, to do with the Indian curry down the road. Nothing at all. There is, and apparently, this sinister figure is known as the Black Nun. Oh, uh, she said to walk the tunnels and mourn her executed brother who worked at the old bank, which gave the station its name. I actually remember reading somewhere that there was um, a figure who was called the Black Nun. I don't know if it's the same station. I was so overwhelmed with information. Um, And the reason why she appears like that is because when she was alive, it was the smell. As you were talking about the smells, Mm -hmm. she was trying to cover herself up so she didn't smell the smells. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she died, but that's why they call her the Black Nun. Now, how's this for a name of a station? Elephant and Castle. Mm-hmm. Mm. They say with this one, if you're afraid of the supernatural, suggest that you avoid the Bakerloo line because mm-hmm. the Bakerloo line's quite active. Mm-hmm. So uh, this Elephant and Castle makes the top of the list on the Bakerloo line. The station's no stranger to odd tapping noises, footsteps made by invisible people and doors being thrown open without warning. The most chilling tale has to be that of a young woman who was seen boarding the train 
but never leaves them. But is she one of the the people that lives in the tube and maybe she's using that to get off the train, but I can't imagine that would be an easy feat to open up a back door and jump out. Mm. Hmm. Uh, Unlike the others on the list, there is no suggested explanations for the ghostly woman and her everlasting oyster card. (laughs) I gather that's what they call the underground card. Yeah, yeah. An oyster card? An oyster card. Don't don't, don't know. Don't don't, ask me. Don't be be licking that card, Renata. Don't ask me. I know how much you love seafood. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now we're going to move on to the British Museum, Holborn. All right, so no trains have been through the abandoned British Museum station in over 80 years. Wow. You would think that at the British Museum that would be a a good spot to have a train stop. However, they've got a nasty ghost there. Malevolent. Oh, don't we like that? And they reside there and they are one of the most terrifying hauntings of the underground. Many people believe the long abandoned British Museum tunnels are haunted by the ghost of... The Egyptian god Amun Ra. Yes, that's that's what that's who we mentioned right at the very beginning. Oh, I thought you said it was a female. It is a female. Oh, okay. I think that's all right. We'll just keep going. Apparently, he's no Casper the Friendly Ghost. Okay, so he. Oh, I think Amun Ra is a, a fellow. If I remember my studies watching the movie. Oh well, yes, of course, because no, that's true. That's I've I'm conflicted. Isn't he the here, one with the Book of the be, Dead. Because yes, because um, he he appears only in a loincloth and a headdress. Yeah, the gonna, headdress threw me off. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. When you were reading that, out, I'm thinking, hang on, does that mean that this chick's topless down there? That'd be people flocking to get down and have a look at that one. Uh, it's clear now. It's clarified. <gasps> oh, so, Thank you. That's okay. That's okay. She's had a rough start to the uh, True Hauntings podcast today. We weren't, weren't in a good mood, but we've, we've got the wheeze happening, so she's happier now. Aren't you, Renata? Yes. yes. Either that, she fakes it well. I'll check with her husband. Anyway, um, so... We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> People have blamed um, this Amun Ra for the disappearance of two women from the neighbouring Holborn station in 1935. The rumour goes that there's a secret tunnel connecting the Egyptian room at the British Museum to Holborn. Hmm don't know about that. Logic suggests that the ghost of Amun-Ra has been using this tunnel to travel to Holborn and snatch tube passages to take back to his lair. Do you know what that sounds like to me? Mm. That sounds like a serial killer who's using the underground, (laughs) dressing up in a loincloth and a headdress and running around and nabbing women. Mm. Don't give people that idea. Take that back. (laughs) I think it's too late. I think it's out in the ether. I think it's gone to the radio waves. All right, so we've got a few more stations to go. King's Cross. So that's where Harry Potter leaves from, isn't it? King's Cross Station, nine and three quarters. Mm-hmm. You don't know, do you? No. Have you never read Harry Potter? I've seen the movies, okay? No, I've that seen is the movies. not good enough. Not only have you not watched Supernatural, the TV series, you have not read Harry Potter. Oh, no, no, forgive me. Forgive me, I haven't read Harry Potter. You have just dropped so much in my eyes, Renata. I'm sorry. All right, let's get back to King's Cross, because apparently King's Cross, uh, St. Pancras, had a huge tragedy that occurred there in 1987, where a total of 31 people were killed and more than 100 injured. 
So the the following year, a woman reported seeing a distressed woman and going to help her, but instead she passed straight through her. Mm. So an apparition. So this makes me wonder if this is like a crisis apparition that is imprinted on the location. Mm Mm-hmm. The woman is described as being dressed in modern clothes and is said to scream loudly and have her arms outstretched. There's been quite a few sightings of her since 1987. Mm, she might be one of those ones that is oh. looking for their child. Ooh, I've just got goosebumps all over me. Like yeah. I've got the hackles have gone up on me. Oh. So now we're going to South Kensington. Mm-hmm. Is that where the palace is, Kensington? Mm-hmm. Around that area? So imagine this, right? You're standing there alone. You're waiting for the last train of the day. Another train pulls in and after a silence, there's the sharp whistle of the train. A ghost-like figure in a peaked hat and cloak clings to the side of this train as it pulls in. Mm. So they're on the outside of the train. The train then disappears into the tunnels. The only problem is that it should never have existed, according to the records dating back to the ghost train's first sighting in 1928. So this is is a whole train. It's a ghost train. It It is is a ghost train with somebody clinging to the outside. Wow. And there's been quite a few people, again, who have seen this and reported, uh, according to this article, as recently as 2013. Ooh. Yeah. Is it possible that they think they're in on a particular platform, but they're not? I don't know. Because I remember we were talking to a lady who um, was at the Picton Tunnels, and that used to be a train tunnel. And um, she said that while she was in there, she heard the blow of the whistle, Mm -hmm. and then she heard the train coming towards her, and it was getting louder and louder, and they both ran for their lives because Mm -hmm. they thought they were about to be run over by a ghost train and what we we got the maps out and we had a look at the maps and we found where the train line sits now compared to where this tunnel was and what it would have been is that the train coming around the bend outside mm-hmm. that noise would have then been amplified down the tunnel and as mm-hmm. the train's getting closer on the outside line it made it sound like it was coming through oh, the tunnel wow. mm-hmm. but she was adamant she yeah. i mean she was there at the time i wasn't i'm mean, yeah. just trying to give a logical explanation to what's happened but um she was adamant that that was a ghost train and it was going to kill them mm-hmm. as you do all right we're almost there so i'm now at highgate mm-hmm. love highgate oh we have so much fond memories of highgate there are some Beautiful, beautiful headstones and tributes in there to people. There's a grand piano mm-hmm. in marble mm. that's in there. That that was like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a cemetery. For it's anyone, a cemetery, sorry. Yes. yes. Uh, and it's some of the older sections uh, where the headstones have uh, got the green moss on them and there's vines all over them and they're jammed back in so tightly together. It, it's eerily beautiful Mm, it is we might pop some of our photos up of highgate cemetery Mm -hmm. when this episode comes out show people what it's all about so you might think that this has something to do with the infamous cemetery or its use as an air raid shelter during the war in fact it's got something more to do with the mid-century northern line extension program so this is a stretch of track um, on the North London, uh, around the North London station, that is unused, and the platform decommissioned, and the tracks were taken away. 
People have reported the sounds of a train coming down the no longer existent stretch of track mm. ever since. So once again, is it this sound being displaced and people assuming it's coming from that and they think it's a train or not? I don't know. All right, now we're up to the um, Aldgate. Is that how we say it? Aldgate Station. So this is another one that was a plague pit. Mm-hmm. I think probably in Britain they had so many people dying and sadly it's it's happening again with this mm-hmm. This plague, um, and it is, it's another plague, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got to find somewhere for the bodies to go. So quite often you couldn't dig anywhere without finding bodies somewhere. But That's anyway, right. uh, there are so many sightings here. The station has a ghost log book. Oh, wow. Dedicated to supernatural stories that people have witnessed at the station. Wouldn't you love to That's see cool. that? That's cool. That reminds me of... Um, Edinburgh, the was we the Greyfriars. Mm-hmm. They've got a book there where people have also written all their experiences in. The most famous ghost there is an elderly ghost who may have even saved a life. A worker was reported to have fallen from a height onto the live electrical rail at the station and survived. Witnesses say there was a ghostly figure stroking him on the ground as he lay injured. She's been dubbed the ghostly angel or the elderly angel ever since. Mm. Now, the the sources today come from uh, mylondon.news and uh, secret LDN, which is, of course, short for london.com, londonist.com, and also that book that I mentioned earlier, up, but there's also many more articles that I've read and uh, just skimmed over them. But it's it's truly astounding. Now, there is a map. Now, you know how you've got the tube map? Yes. There is a haunted tube map. Right. And you can find out what ghosts are at what station. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fabulous for us. We can check that out. But... It's also going to pre-program your brain for what to expect when you get there instead of just being open to any experience. There was one thing that I found when I was um, uh, going through all of this Mm -hmm. and there was a job. One of the jobs that people had was called the fluffers. Have you heard of the fluffers? No, I have not heard of the fluffers. What do fluffers do? Oh, this is fabulous. Um, So... Up until about the 1970s, I think it was, these people used to go underground into the tunnels to collect the dust, particularly human hair and skin cells that are shed by three million daily passengers and get it off the lines because otherwise it would just build up as fluff on the sides of the track. Wow. So their job was to actually go in and clean this stuff out. But they got replaced by the tunnel cleaning train, which now goes through and cleans all the debris out. But who would have even thought of that as a problem? Yeah. We forget that we shed. We do. <laughs> some more than others. You and your hair. But, but look, some people, and this is interesting because some people, and we've had photographs where they send particular light anomalies to us Mm. and they go "Mm, it's spirit Mm. and we say it's probably dust and they say no there's no dust in my house no 
No, we don't no, shed skin no, cells or have no, dandruff. Or no, just in my house. Fluff off our clothes. Mm. <laughs> and normally those ones, you can see that there is chaos and junk everywhere around the house. And they're going, there's no dust in my house. We're going, mm, maybe <laughs> not. Look, I'm, I'm going to come up with a couple of um, possibilities mm-hmm. to explain why some people think that things are haunted there. Mm-hmm. Um now, one of them, and you you were talking about this earlier today, was the infrasound. Infrasound. Uh, and this came from a paper called Ghosts of the Machine from the Society for Psycho- Psychical Research. Uh, they've cited infrasound as the cause of apparitions seen by staff at uh, a so-called haunted laboratory in Warwick. Uh, so that's the experiment that they had done to mm-hmm. show that by playing this um, infrasound, mm-hmm. it stimulated part of the brain to hallucinate so the uh infrasound within the tube stations would be from the escalators the Mm -hmm. motors in the escalators the moving trains the wind that is produced because that when the remember when the tube is coming in you get that rush of air before the train gets in because the train's pushing the hair air hair the air and hair yes. ahead of itself before yes. it gets to the station and you and my hair went, whoo, mm-hmm. went up everywhere I can imagine you you'd look like cousin it <laughs> if your hair was out that's right Renata's hair is so long at the moment um, and also distorted sounds uh, particularly because there's there's levels there's trains on top of trains in the various tunnels there and that all creates this infrasound mm-hmm. which then could cause you if you were um, susceptible to so, it yeah yeah to to hallucinate mm-hmm. and maybe see these things uh so i i thought that was an interesting thing another thing is like when there's a, a bit of an earthquake now i've actually experienced that where i had my ears went funny and i felt really weird and when i was in la and i've gone oh i just feel like my head's gone really fuzzy i feel really odd and then everything started to shake mm-hmm. so i was experiencing that infrasound before everything started to shake, rattle and roll. So mm. it really does create that noise, that that, that problem. Um, and the other thing is there are so many stations, there are so many people, noise echoes, it's all tiled. Uh, and you, you just don't know where the noise source is coming from sometimes when you hear those noises. Mm, that's That's true. But... In saying all of that, knowing the history of London and the trauma that has happened in many of those locations, would you say that the London Underground is a true haunting? Absolutely. Me too. I reckon just the, you've got the electricity, so you'd, you'd have high EMF fields and you'd, you'd have this infrasound happening. And I, I think that... I think it's a very big, strong possibility that there would be ghosts down there. Mm. And the number of people coming on board um, during each day. And they bring their own ghosts with them. Who are bringing their own ghosts with them. Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely a place for exploration, I think. Yeah. Now, guys, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of True Hauntings. We have had some people ask us, do we have a Patreon page? And we sure do. If you look up Anne, 
and Renata, you can join our Patreon community. We have various entry levels, but I strongly advise heading over and joining the Grand Pooh Bars because that gets you onto a private page where the uh, the gossip comes out and we'll have some little uh, extra videos and things that we are hoping to put up in regards to uh, True Haunting. So if you'd like to join us there, we'd love to have you. But thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. Make sure you share it around. Make sure you've subscribed to it. If you can leave us a review on iTunes, we would so appreciate it. Let's build this little channel up to be awesome. Thank you for joining us. And guess what, Renata? We'll see you next week. And we'll also see you on The The Dark Dark Side. Side. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network.